0: to continue our conversation on Celtic tales, but today we're going to let's just dive right in because it's a fascinating topic and one that we've touched upon a lot previously, but we're talking about kind of the liminal space of the Celts or the other world.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's I really interesting because in the Celtic ideology what other worlds are and may be what liminal space is, is not exactly what we would think of as another world or another space, uh, or a a liminal space. Like, traditionally, as like Christian Catholic upbringings, we would think Mm -hmm. of, you know, we would think of a traditional like heaven and a hell type scenario. But when you go yeah. back far enough and you go and you especially look through this, you can see that other worlds might hold spirits, but that's not all that they are, that's not all that they do, and they are really mm-hmm. like other worlds, which is really interesting.
0: Yeah. We really think of yes, like the concepts of heaven and hell as being like very separate other worlds when Celts People speak of this, or like in tales, mention this. They're really they speak of thin places, of liminal mm-hmm. spaces, mm-hmm. times and locations where the veil between worlds is the most permeable, and where this supernatural world and the visible world can meet and allow beings potentially to pass back and forward from one world to the other. Mm-hmm. It can also have to do with a certain time of year so Samhain or what you might call Halloween is a time of the year where the veil is thinnest and where spirits are able to kind of interact with our physical world a little bit more that veils just a lot
1: mm-hmm. there,
0: there's less separation between the two
1: yeah it's really like a threshold place right
0: yeah yeah exactly
1: so that could be it could so mean... many different things. That can even be a, uh, certain times of day, like dusk and mm-hmm. dawn, for example.
0: Dusk and dawn, certain times of the year with eclipses and equinoxes. But
1: what I found really interesting about like the idea of liminal space in this context is that there are actual like sites that are sacred because of that yes. thin layer. So like Places like hilltops, I think we touched on that in one of our other mm-hmm. podcasts, um, groves, rivers, caves, anywhere where the yes. boundary between earth and supernatural, like you said, you could see a shift, there's a change, there's a portal kind of situation happening there. Which exactly. means that all of those places were considered very mystical for for
0: people, which is really cool. Exactly. Yeah, so it's it's like sacred sites, it's times of years. Liminality and time is one that I find a really interesting concept because in Celtic tradition, just like time between night and day, or like the the time between one day and the next, so like midnight between mm-hmm. one day and another is this moment of liminal time. Mm-hmm. And you see it appear in lots of folklore, like the fact that even Cinderella at the stroke of midnight changes back. Like it's in that moment, that shift of space and time. And so there's lots of classical references to meetings with fairies that take place in these places or in these times, in these waterways or stone circles or a specific tree or grove and where people get taken by the fairies. And... Mm -hmm. If someone's taken to this fairyland, to this other world, time always moves really differently. And then certain weather itself can be liminal elements. So like something like mist, you see like a mist roll in oh boy. and it's water and air, right? You right. have these combination of elements that are mixing together in a way that you don't always see it. And it's this otherworldly presence. Fog is kind of the same thing. So um, when we think of Avalon, the mm-hmm. mystical realm of Avalon, we're often told that there's mist covering this fairy land and you can't see through, you have to get through the mist in order to come to Avalon. And again, it's that combination of different elements coming together to give off this impression of like an otherworldly thing. We even talked about it with the Glastonbury tour. Right. Where there is a scientific thing that happens, but it has this mystical quality because this fog is created and the sun comes in in a weird way. And so like, it's this place of ley lines. It's this place of entry to the other world at the top of this hill fort.
1: I love this. I love this kind of like, um, I love that people have just been noticing these things, noticing the shifts Mm -hmm. in the feeling in the air and in places like this for so long that it becomes part of like the the lore of the land, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think it's important to kind of also like like touch on a bit like what are the other worlds exactly? Like we don't know exactly what they are, but ideally they're kind of like they're similar to an earthly realm, but they're almost like a parallel universe. What we would kind of think of as a parallel dimension or an mm-hmm. alternate reality that intersects with the earthly realm at certain times mm-hmm. in certain places and this is a lot of and these other worlds I think there's there's at least a couple yeah and we know that um you know like uh, we touched on in the uh in the overview um that that there are Different races of people are not people, but different races, groups, tribes that come from these other worlds, too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stories we hear are at the intersection, are taking place in this intersection between Earth and there, and yeah, transitioning from there into Earth and everything like that. It's really neat,
0: it is really neat. But I think, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I think all of these other worlds are generally lands of plenty is that right lands of abundance
1: seems to be like from what i understand they're pretty positively focused it's not like Mm -hmm. i don't think especially in celtic mythology i get you can correct me if i'm wrong on this but i don't think there was ever like a division of good girls go to heaven bad girls go to hell yeah that's a love reference for those of you who don't know but i mean like (laughs) but i don't think there's there's not that division and so it's not like people die and then they get sorted into like good and bad it's just that people pass and their spirits move on to a place so there could be Mm -hmm. another world that's an afterlife but it's not necessarily um a scary or a negative place like what we've necessarily had painted for us in our minds in the Christian. Not necessarily a hell. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is just interesting. It just means that people die and then there's an afterlife. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And in a lot of ways, it's more like they transition to the other side of these thinning veils that we have like these portal places that we seem to have all over the um like you know like on these hilltops in these rivers all of these areas it more just seems Mm -hmm. like they transition which is quite Mm -hmm. interesting and really honestly so much of a calmer thought (laughs) than what we grew up with it
0: is it's kind of reassuring in a way yeah absolutely it's definitely reassuring so what are some because i I know I'm, I kind of focused on one and I'll share a story with that, but what are some of the other worlds that you uh, reviewed?
1: A few that I came across, I only came across like about three different major examples, um there's the tiranag which you've already talked about uh which is considered like the land of youth and pair it's a paradise like realm of eternal beauty and joy there is the magmal which is the plane of delight doesn't sound dissimilar a realm Mm -hmm. associated with the gods and the afterlife so again that might be where somebody might move to if they're passing passing um Mm -hmm. and the anwen I hope I'm saying that way right probably not it's <laughs> but it's the Welsh other world and the Welsh Otherworld is interesting because it's kind of depicted as a bit more mysterious a bit hmm. less known and it's ruled by the the god Arwen so I mean these are just a couple small examples and there may be other worlds as well but these are kind of like the ones that are most known but I'd love to for you to go in a little bit more about Tiernanog, because I'd love yeah. to know what you came across.
0: Yeah. So, like you said, the name literally translates to "land of the young," mm. and it's either considered to be like the Celtic otherworld or just like part of it. Which, based on the fact that there are others that you just named, I think it's more part of it. Um. It's sometimes thought of as the Irish equivalent to Elysium, which in Greek mythology is the paradise in which heroes were granted immortality after death. But a really important difference in Irish folklore is nog isn't an afterlife. It's an earthly place still, which can only be reached through magic. It's not oh. a place where you go to after death. That's so interesting. Not necessarily. Yeah so it's still this earthly paradise like think of when I think of it I'm like I think of flower meadows and lush forested wilderness and like this like flower meadow grove kind of in the middle of a forest. Is this where fairies would be too then? Can be.
1: Yeah I guess that sense. Yeah
0: the other world is like supernatural beings right Mm -hmm. so it's it's where this stuff happens it's just the supernatural realm where there is everlasting health, youth, beauty and joy is experienced by all who dwell there. And the toa Day that we talked about in the previous episode are this race of, race of people who live in the other worlds but interact with humans and step spend time in the human world. And this group is thought to be the gods of pre-Christian Ireland,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the gods that rule over Tirnanog.
1: Mm.
0: Usually, um, they are named as Manannan and Macleir, and they're kind of said to be the first ancestor of the human race and the god of the dead. So as the legends go, the residents of Tirnanog invite humans to their realm. And it's from these invitations that a lot of Irish folklore stories stem from. So ah. the visitors reach Tir in a bunch of different ways. And they'll venture across the seas in treacherous journeys or enter through ancient burial grounds because, you know, the ancient burial ground at Newgrange, for example, is a place where this mythical stuff is said to happen and where this, these veils are a little thinner. Mm-hmm. So it's a place of joy for those who live there, but it can be a really dangerous place for humans, particularly those who remain for a really long period of time or for who people who remain there for a period of time that's a multiple of three. So three days or three years, three months, anything that's a multiple of three, it's not great. So mm. like you have to ask why humans yeah. would visit this place. So why why would you visit the other world if you knew that it was filled with dangers and perils and a way for you? Like, why would you visit? Because it also sounds like it's pretty and
1: filled with all this <laughs> other fun stuff and fairies. I know. And, um, I mean, maybe if things are worse on Earth, like, why not?
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? If it's a parallel, if it's a kind of like a parallel universe of sorts. <laughs> mm-hmm. And things are bad on Earth. Do you think that they're bad there too? Oh, I don't know. It's hard to say. Hard to say. Things can be running parallel
1: in time, but it doesn't mean that they're… That they're… The actions are the same. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I would want to go and visit and see what it's all about regardless. And like, you know, curiosity killed the cat. I think humans are inherently <laughs> curious creatures. So, yeah, I'm very cat-like and I've always wanted to have <laughs> tea inside of a flower.
1: So that's pretty much reason <laughs> enough for me. Honestly, every time I come around a, a fairy ring, which is like the, the mushroom <laughs> in a circle, I'm like, should I just put my foot in it? Should I? I haven't, but you know. I think about it. Why
0: not? I think that you'd know whether or not they're like present and active by what you hear around you maybe and what you see. Honestly,
1: out here, legitimately, if I'm out here and I see a fairy ring, I will contemplate putting my foot in it, but I won't do it. There's (laughs) there's too much like mystical stuff in our forests out here that I'm just like, I might actually
0: never come back. Well, in one of the most well okay so why humans visit such a place in a lot of these stories um men would often be tempt- tempted by beautiful women from the island of tirnanog oh that and, totally
1: tracks yeah
0: right that. yeah so
1: in the you asked me why i would go there not the number one reason a man would go there <laughs>
0: it's totally no true. i did ask it's you weird. why you would go there <laughs> but the number one reason in the ter- in all the these tales that exist it's Really focusing on why men would go there, so right, okay. uh, the two a day women would leave, and they would bring back men with them. Yeah, the I've seen this. In tra- I've
1: seen this in traces of like other, like you know, stories as we go down, mm-hmm. where women are always kind of enticing them to come in, and like they're just like, "Ooh,
0: why not?" You know, the seductresses. Yes. <laughs> So Tirnanog is best known for the story of O'Sheen and Neve. And O'Sheen was the son of the legendary Finn McCool. Oh, wow. He was the leader of, huh? He
1: said, oh, wow. I know that name. I don't know why I know that name, but I know it.
0: Finn McCool is like the English way of saying the name. Because it's spelled Mac and then C-U-M-H-A-I-L-L. And somehow that's pronounced cool. Cool. That's cool. So he's the leader of the Fianna, and Oisin is a warrior like his father, also a very great poet. So a lot of the battles that we know of today as part of Irish folklore were actually passed down through Oisin's poetry. Mm -hmm. And one day, Finn and Oisin are hunting around the Ring of Kerry, which is in the southwest of Ireland, and they Mm. stop for a rest on a hillside overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. And they're just keeping an eye out for invaders. And in the distance, they see a white horse approaching. So coming over water on, on its back is the most beautiful woman Oshin had ever seen with really long golden locks flowing behind her as she rides this magical white horse. And that woman is Neve. Oh and her name actually translates to radiance or brightness. Ooh, so she had been watching Finn and Oshin from some time, all the way from Tir and decided to come to Earth to make Oshin her husband and bring him back to the other worlds. Mm. And Oshin falls in love with her immediately. And although he's kind of sad to be leaving his father and the rest of Fianna behind, he's really excited about a future married to Neve.
1: Hmm.
0: So... They ride off together on Neve's horse to Tirnanog mm-hmm. and they spend some magical months together. And Neve promised him that Tyrnanog was this land of happiness where everyone lived forever and felt no sadness. And this was mostly true.
1: But O'Sheen
0: did miss his homeland and he missed his father. Like he really missed his dad. He wanted to see him again. And after what seemed to be three years together in the other world, O'Sheen begged Neve to let him take her magical white horse and return Earthside to see his family. And she finally relents and says, you can do this, but please. And really, she begs him, please, please, whatever you do, don't get off the horse. Never let your feet touch the ground or you can't return to Tir Mm Mm-hmm. So O'Sheen gets back to Ireland and he does not recognize the place. He doesn't recognize the people. He's looking around and he's like, what is this? Like everything is different. And he sees some men that are struggling to move a rock and he stops and asks them where he could find Finn and the Fianna. And the men replied that stories used to be told about this great warrior Finn and his mighty son Uh Oshin and the fearsome Fianna, but that was a really long time ago. And no one really told these tales anymore. And it was then that Oshin realized that time slows in Tirnanog, and rather than three years, it had actually been 300 years
1: that he'd been away.
0: Oh, boy. And... To prove, because like you know, he still needs to prove that he is who he really is. To prove that the the, the stories of the men that they had heard weren't just in stories, O'Sheen said that any of the Fiana would have been able to pick up the rock with just one hand, right? Because these men are struggling to move this rock, and he was just like, "No, no, no! I swear, I'm I'm part of the Fiana, and the Fiana can just pick this up with one hand, like no problem." And so he remembered Neve's warning about not getting off the horse and he leans over to pick up the rock while still being mounted on the horse but he falls off. And oh, no. His feet touch the ground and he immediately ages 300 years and becomes an old frail man and then dies. And Neve's uh-huh. horse just gallops away knowing that Oshin would never be able to return to Tirnanog and his love and yeah, Oshin basically watched the horse go and then die. <laughs> what a bummer. I know. You know, it makes me wonder why did all of these women,
1: like, what was going on with the men in Tirana? <laughs> that all the women needed to pull human men like they're so great? Um, <laughs> like, you know. I was
0: wondering the same thing. Because they honestly. always,
1: like in all these stories, they always break their promise. They always get sucked in by their homeland (laughs) and they always go back. And then they always, you know what I mean? Is it supposed to
0: be a point of like, um, women are tricksy, tricksy can't be trusted and men are just, um, they, they're, they're flawed and succumb to. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Like in this story, I don't get the sense
1: that she was trying to be a trickster in any way. She just, I don't think so
0: either. Yeah. She just, she, she just had her him. eye on him and she was like, I like this guy. I'm going to make him my husband. Well, cause he was a great, <laughs> he was a great warrior. I like the fact that she yeah, picked. Yeah. And a poet.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: You know what I mean? Warrior and a poet. So obviously still in tune with his emotions. Oh, that's very, that's too bad.
1: I kind of feel bad for him cause he, he didn't even actually break the rule. But he, he, he did by accident, you know. He did by accident. It but really he, wasn't intentional. He did, he did succumb ultimately to his ego. Maybe there's something yeah. in there about that, though, because. Yeah, he did. He didn't He want definitely to be, did. But I mean, if you go away for what you think is three years and then you realize it's 300 years, I feel like that would hit any human hard.
0: For sure it would. Especially then, if you were part then, of, like, like,
1: legends at the time, you know.
0: Yeah. And I guess that's just, would you want to be like, no, I swear I'm real. And I'm them when you know, you're going to dip and go back. Like, does that make any sense? Yeah. Or would you just be like, okay, I guess I'm just a thing of legend. And then you go back and process. Yeah, I know.
1: Cause 'Cause I I don't
0: necessarily know that I would immediately be like, no, let me prove to you who I am. I think I'd be like, oh, my gosh, like if a, I need to sit down, if like, a super human goddess fairy
1: from an alternate universe can only hold on <laughs> to a human man for three fucking years, what's going <laughs> on? You know what I mean? Like I, I feel bad for her. I feel super bad for her. That's sad. I know. I know. I'm sorry though.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's like the most, um, famous story, I guess, of Tirnanog, one of the most famous ones. And then this story um, really shows the Christianization of Ireland. It's called Children of of Lear. Mm -hmm. And it's the basis for Swan Lake. So we all know Swan Lake, right? Oh, yeah. Like I know
1: Swan Lake. I think I might have even, have I seen it as ballet? I forget the premise of Swan Lake, though. But I know it. Like, I know of it.
0: Okay. So, like, this is, like, the the basis for the ballet. And this one is, like, less to do with other worlds. But I'm going to tell it anyways because it really shows the Christianization of Ireland that comes. Okay. Cool. So, a long time ago, there was an Irish king called Lear. And he had four beautiful children. And their mother died when they were really young. Mm-hmm. And Lear eventually remarries, but the new woman, the new queen, we see this right in a lot of fairy tales and stuff. The new queen is a devious woman of oh. witchcraft and she wants the <sighs> throne to herself. And she saw the children as a threat to her plans. So one day, <laughs> one day she takes them down to the lake to teach them to swim. But when they all get into the water, This evil queen casts a spell on them and turns them into swans. And for 900 years, the children of Lear were doomed to live as swans by daylight, and only in the light of the moon could they take their human form. Interesting. And... The spell was basically broken with the arrival of Christianity to Ireland because when the children of Lear heard the sound of the bells ringing from this new church, they flew down to investigate. And then as they entered the church, their feathers fell away and they once again became human. So 900 years, they lived as swans during the day. Wow. And then Christianity came and it cured them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just those Christian bells. Those Christian bells, that's all it took. So, because we know Ireland now is like a super, super Christian place. It's true. Just like we know
1: France to be a relatively, like, they're considered non-secular. But, I mean, religiously, they're very Catholic, you know?
0: Yeah. But you still have these fairy tale creatures and, like, witches, evil witches and sorceresses and things like that that are, like, they're bad. And then Christianity is like this savior.
1: Didn't, so Shakespeare, it uh, didn't Shakespeare write a King Lear play? He wrote a play about King Lear, didn't he?
0: He wrote a play called King Lear, yeah.
1: So, oh, I've never wanted to read that one because it sounded kind of boring. But if there's like swans <laughs> in it, then maybe I should check it out.
0: Uh, I actually don't know if, uh, yeah, it's based on the mythological Lear in Britain. It's not um, the same King Lear. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I am actually not sure. Oh, Honestly, I've never read King Lear. I've read a few Shakespearean plays, but never that one. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Because it doesn't so I don't seem know. interesting. That's why. That's why. Same reason <laughs> I didn't read it. You know, I'm much more into the comedies than the tragedies, to be completely honest. Like? The world's tragic enough. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Fair <laughs> enough. What
1: were his comedies? Uh, was A Midsummer's Night Dream considered a comedy? Yeah. Yeah always yeah. okay yeah for sure. Romeo and
0: Juliet's a tragedy I really like Romeo yeah. of
1: course I do it's no surprise I also like I enjoyed Caesar oh, but I 12th feel like yeah oh.
0: yeah
1: 12th night this is Merchant making me think Venice. we need to do oh Merchant of Venice is good I think I like his dramas maybe we need to do Shakespeare season sure that could be fun I mean he stole his stuff from um a bunch of other people there's a shock there's <laughs> something a guy didn't do before in history but that would be interesting to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Sorry, we digress. Um, digressing. We, we went off on a very different tangent here. Um, it kind of And then I have other stories for you if you're interested.
1: Oh, yeah. I want to hear them all. Didn't you tell me before the podcast that you had some Portuguese Celtic stories? I do. Yeah. That is so yeah, interesting because-, because I didn't know that until you told me earlier today. Like, I knew that, Mm -hmm. like, there was the Celtic, there's the Celtic coastline uh, in Spain. And I know that it's the exact, like, you drive out of Porto, and then you're in Spain. And then, like, it's the same it's the same one. So, like,
0: it makes sense. I just didn't realize it. So that's really cool. So in that area of Galicia, northern Portugal... Um, that's where the Celts were. So in northern Portugal, there are Celtic ruins. There are megalithic sites that are like 5,000 plus years old. I might have even went to one of them, to be honest. I can't remember the name. You of may them. have. You may have. And so there are these stories in northern Portugal specifically that are still told. And this is still an area that has like, you know, the south of Portugal is a little more dry, um, has a drier climate. So it's a little more deserty. The north, has a wetter climate so it's got a lot more forestry Mm -hmm. and you get a lot more tales I feel like in forested areas and like naturally green areas you get a lot more tales of like these other worlds Mm -hmm. so I've got three stories we'll see whether or not we're able to get to all of them Mm -hmm. so in Portuguese folklore we have these things called maruxingos which are goblin-like creatures. They're described as being short in stature, with wrinkled faces, bright eyes, and pointy ears. Hmm. And they're said to be immortal. Mm-hmm. And their realm is described as an immaterial place. And throughout northern Portugal, you know, sightings of Marux English are reported in old caves, in old Celtic hillforts, because there are old Celtic hillforts and burial mounds in northern Portugal and untouched forests. And so anyone who goes to the realm of the Marushinjus will live forever untouched by the ravages of time. It's, again, like similar to any of the other other world stories we hear of. Time moves differently and people don't age. They're ageless. They're, mm-hmm. There's like this eternal youth. Mm-hmm. So Tomash is a young farmer who is known as the most handsome man in the region, but he's also a prankster and very mischievous. And he's been this way his entire life. He's also really charismatic. So a lot of young women kind of fall for his charms. And every night he's at the local pub, he's drinking, he's gambling away his daily earnings. So charming. Yeah, so charming, but his... His parents never really minded his habits. He was never punished for them or reprimanded for them. So he was there and he had parents, but they never really guided him through life. They never really helped check his behavior. So it just continued to get perpetually worse and worse and worse. And one night he's at the pub and he gets into a really heated argument with another man and decides to go for a walk to cool off. And he steps out and the air is like still cold and crisp. And he's walking for nearly an hour and kind of stops and realizes he's ventured really far from home and he's lost at the entrance of this dense forest. He doesn't really know where he is. He's trying to make sense of where he is. He's looking around and all of a sudden he hears it. He hears what sounds like voices laughing and talking to each other, but he can't actually understand a single word that's being said. So he starts to follow the sounds of the voices, probably thinking that if he finds them, he can get reoriented and ask how to get back to the village. Mm -hmm. And he starts walking, and then he hears this weird, strange tapping behind him. Every time he moves, it was like something was mimicking his every step. But he'd stop and he'd look around. He never saw anyone. So he keeps following the voices and the sounds and it leads him to this crossroads in the middle of the forest and he stands there looking again from left to right looking to find this source and an intense gust of wind comes out of nowhere and he's engulfed in this cloud of dust and leaves. So again, those elemental forces dust leaves wind
1: mm-hmm. and he
0: pulls himself out of this whirlwind and opens his eyes and he sees this band of little people with pointy ears and long claws entering a portal that was made by the whirlwind mm. and he thinks his mind is playing tricks on him and he's like did i hit my head too hard or something i don't understand and he slowly approaches the portal and the voices are getting louder the sounds are getting louder And to prove to himself that what he's seeing is real and not just like this figment of his imagination, he takes his dagger and throws it into the portal and the dagger disappears. And a little murushin comes out of the portal in its place. And he's shocked by the, the appearance of this little being because he had heard of all of the stories from the village elders, but he never believed him. And so he's paralyzed instantly with fear and wonder. And the Marushingu spoke and says, Fear me not. i mean you no harm. Come, dance with us. Drink and be merry. Mm -hmm. And he can't move. He's already starting to be enchanted by this little creature who like beckons him again. He's like, take a little peek. And so he inches his way forward and sticks his head through. And he sees this enchanted world. And it's beyond anything that he had heard from the stories before. This land that he sees is this, in the this state of absolute perfection. Their homes are made of precious stones and gold. Everyone's, Everyone that's there, humans and Marushengos, are laughing and dancing and drinking together and having an amazing time. And the enchantment grows stronger and stronger and he slips into the portal and starts dancing hand in hand with everyone that's there. And he's spinning and laughing in circles and drinking wine. And at some point, he trips over a glass of wine and he falls. And as he falls on the ground, he breaks the circle and the enchantment breaks. And he finally sees that the Marushinj are these vile, nasty little creatures.
1: he sees his dagger
0: and he throws it back through the portal and opens a passage back to his world. So he runs back to the village, very aware of... Of the sounds all around him. Giggles, like creatures giggling in his tracks. So he's not alone. creepy. And he gets to the village and there's something wrong. He doesn't recognize anyone. No one recognizes him. He runs towards his house, but it looks like it had just been abandoned for years and years. So he's really confused. And he asks an elderly woman about what happened to the people living in the house. And she said that the couple that had lived there died many years ago and the house had been abandoned ever since. Mm. After the disappearance of their son, the couple were never the same and the mother passed away from a broken heart and the father passed away shortly after. So for a year, the village had looked for him. And after some time, they kind of just gave up because they figured he just abandoned the village. He was a bit of an ass right (laughs) and the old woman said that that young man that son tomas had brought nothing but disappointment and heartache to the village and to the parents so he stumbled away to the cemetery and he's like how is this possible what year is it like what is going on and he finds his parents tombstone and he saw that they'd been dead for 30 years and so he's just like how can this be what happened to me? And he's just at a complete loss and his eyes filled with tears. And he goes back to the forest. And for three days and three nights, he is shouting at the little people to come to to come for him. And he's just like, what is going on? How can you do this to me? Take me back. How dare you? And finally, on the fourth morning, he's about to give up. And this whirlwind comes again and a portal comes in front of him. And three little people walk out of the portal. And the Marushingu says, the trickster becomes the tricked. And he's Mm. laughing about it. Mm -hmm. And eventually, one of the Marushingu kind of takes pity on him and lifts the enchantment so that he could be sent back to his own time. And then he returns. Yeah, it's like a cautionary tale. He returns, completely changed the way he'd been living his life and became much more honest and humble than he had ever been before. Oh my goodness.
1: That's so, I didn't expect that twist at the end. I thought he was just fucked.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's got an okay ending. Yeah. It's got an okay ending. It's used as a cautionary tale. But how come, so what he saw was like a veil of what they were actually were? Yeah, it was still an enchantment. He was yeah. just, like, stuck in this enchantment. Like, he thought that he had opened this portal back to his own world. But remember, he's running back and he still hears them laughing and giggling around. Oh, yeah, that's right. They oh. never lifted the enchantment. They let him think that they oh, had. Just messing they with They didn't him. just let him go.
1: But at first, he saw them one way. And then when he fell, he saw them another way. When he was in the still yeah. in their-, their space, right?
0: Yeah. He was still in their space, but the enchantment kind of broke a little bit, and he starts to realize. So why did they, that. like, uh, enchant how they
1: looked is, I guess, my question. I don't know if you know. You may not know the answer to that, but. I
0: don't really know the answer. I think it's just to lure people in. I think it's like they, they somehow knew that he was a trickster. He was a prankster, and he, like, got up to all sorts of shit, right? Oh, so, so
1: they like deliberately did this to teach him a lesson. I,
0: I think so. Oh, okay. I think like that's the moral of
1: the story. Yeah. Oh wow, that's so interesting. Oh cool. Yeah, that's a good one. A nice yeah, one. I like that Talk one. Twist right? at the end there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. There's another one. It's a bit shorter. So it's a beautiful summer day when a young shepherd decides to make his way home and he takes a shortcut through an ancient old forest that's within the limits of P'n- 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 the Jiddish National Park in the north. Okay. And after a few minutes of wandering through the dense forest, he noticed that it was unusually quiet. There was no birds, no bugs, no wind rustling, the leaves. Everything's like completely dead silent. And all of a sudden there's a mist that's hovering over the ground. And At that time, he hears this hauntingly beautiful, seductive female voice in the distance that pulls him really deep into the forest. And the voice leads him to a clearing where there is an ancient dolmen. So like an ancient Mm -hmm. megalithic tomb or like a portal tomb Mm -hmm. on top of this small mound. And we have everywhere here. Yeah. Everywhere. Everywhere. Sitting there is this beautiful maiden just singing and brushing her hair. And she turns to the shepherd and says, come to me, young shepherd. I seek your help. He's like, who are you, fair maiden? She's I'm the Morda, the guardian of the passage to the other world. And the people put a spell on me before heading to Murama, which is the land of the dead. Mm -hmm. And I've been trapped here ever since. Condemned to stay for all eternity but you – You can set me free. Kiss Mm. me and break my smell. My spell. My smell. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to kiss you if you smell. (laughs) Break my smell. Break my spell. If you succeed, I'll give you my treasure. And she pointed to the small mound of stones. And then they all turned to silver and gold. Mm. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'll kiss you. (laughs) And... When he does, she turns into a snake and disappears into the grass. Oh boy! And then he freaks out and he's like, oh, shit. And instead of just running away, he's like, oh, shit. OK, let me just grab all this gold and silver. And he runs home and oh no. he gets home and tells his brother about what happened. And his brother doesn't believe him. And he's like, no, I swear. Look. And he takes out all this gold and silver and they it's were rough. just stones. So the moda completely tricked him.
1: Oh my God! Uh, there was
0: no gold and silver. there were just stones. So that's like a little one.
1: <laughs> so she just wanted him to kiss her basically.
0: <laughs> she wanted to be set free and go she back into. She did get set free because he kissed she, her. Yeah, she was set free. Oh, okay. So she tricked him into setting her free.
1: Uh, so easy yeah. too. So easy. So it's easy. a
0: pretty girl and gold and silver. <laughs>
1: yeah, I guess. Like why not, right? You'd think these guys would know better. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. The last one is about a couple named Joaquin and Alda from a mountainous little area in northern Portugal. And they live in a small village. It's a small enough village where everyone knows everyone, and they're this beloved couple. is a blacksmith. Alda's a baker. They're happily married, but they want children. And after they got married, they assumed that it would happen for them. Pretty quickly. And five months after their wedding, they did get pregnant. They were really excited about it, but only 12 weeks into the pregnancy, Alda suffered a miscarriage and they were really heartbroken by this. More heartbroken than they had ever thought was possible. And it wasn't just the loss of the child, it was like this loss of a dream, and everyone in the village felt for them. A year passed and they tried again. And again, she suffered a miscarriage. By the time they'd been married for three years, this poor woman had gone through four miscarriages and she was becoming increasingly depressed and helpless and lonely.
1: I can't imagine that.
0: Yeah. She had these feelings of desperation and failure just growing within her and she felt like she couldn't deal with it anymore. So on a cold winter night, she left her home and headed for the waterfalls with the intention of ending her life. So she goes to the waterfalls and she's crying and there's this big gust of wind that blew her over and kind of like, it blew over the waterfalls and just hit her and she takes a couple steps back and after a few seconds it comes to a stop and then everything just becomes really, really still and silent and she looks around, she feels like she's being watched and she dries the tears on her face she has this eerie sensation, can't see anyone. And then she sees this group of orange light orbs moving over the river. And they look like they're dancing with each other and like circling each other really, really quickly. And she's a little confused and scared, but can't take her eyes off of them. And she's never seen anything like it. And she's mesmerized and just sitting there. And then all of a sudden, one of the orbs kind of separates from the group. And starts going towards her. And time slows down as it approaches. And suddenly it's right in front of her. And she realizes that the orb is actually a fairy child. And she's engulfed in this feeling of love and acceptance. Which is something that she hadn't felt in a really long time. The fairy looked into her soul. And all of the negative emotions she had been carrying were replaced by love and hope and she kind of sheds a tear and then just faints and the fairy child wipes her tear with a golden shroud and fades into her chest and envelops, envelops her body in the spectacle of lights and the next morning she wakes up in her bed with her husband and she has no idea of how she got there and she starts to wonder if it's a dream but then she notices that she's holding this tiny golden shroud and a few weeks later she discovers she's pregnant but it feels very different and eight months after that she gives birth to a beautiful baby girl and she had never told anyone about this fairy child until the first time she's holding the child and her husband's there and she finally like tells her husband and they like keep this secret to themselves and yeah that's that's a nice little story
1: That's so interesting, you know, because while you were telling me these stories, I have two thoughts. First of all, Mm -hmm. I like, I love that the stories related to women are like the fairies help the women because they're like in these really sad situations, usually. And the Mm -hmm. stories related to men are the fairies trick the men and fuck with the men because they're dumb. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I must sound like such a guy hater. I'm not. I have like, I'm like, I have the best husband ever, but it's just funny. <laughs> it's just funny. It is funny. funny. Yeah. But um.
0: Yeah. also,
1: but also sweet. And it just shows the different relationship like, like women have with the liminal space and the things yes. beyond the liminal space and the relationship men have. It's Men are always coming up against well, their own ego in these stories, whereas women are coming up usually against sorrow. And
0: yeah. It has something to do with children. But I think that men very much live in the physical realm. And I think that women encounter liminality much all the more. the time. Like even all the time, like just with menstrual cycles. With I was just going to say, our with, periods
1: like, are a liminal space,
0: aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they are. They, they are. totally, totally are. Mm-hmm. There's like all of these in between phases that we are regularly in. So I feel like, and, and then, you know, we match these times. Well, now we all have apps on our phones, but like traditionally we'd match them with this time of the moon and yeah. that's how we would measure and like know when to expect things and stuff like that. And that in itself is so tied with liminality and with, with the other worlds and with magic. Yeah. I feel like we're just naturally much more in tune with it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like maybe less afraid of it. Yeah, for sure. Not everyone, obviously, but no, no,
1: not everyone, but like, you know, many people get there. Some people it's not so important for them. That's, that's, that's a whole other conversation for another time. (laughs) It's cool. You do you, you know what I mean? But obviously we both really like, feel pulled to all of this stuff too and it's really interesting because like I said I think in the when we started taping this series I said that um this was my gateway like fairies mm-hmm. and Celtic stuff was like my gateway and one of the first books I ever read was um I think it was written by a Canadian author I got it from the Scholastic Book Club yeah, <laughs> if you remember those i loved those oh yeah i i don't know how they managed to get all of us so excited to buy books like i bought
0: books it's amazing books and stickers and like yeah i bought bought
1: this i bought this book two years before i was old enough to read it that's how much i just wanted it it was called the hunter's moon and it was about it i had no idea what it was about like i I buy everything the same way. I buy books and wine the same way. I buy it based on the cover. And if it like calls me, I just buy it. You know what I mean? Even when I was in grade like six. So, or no, I had to, I think I probably bought this book in like grade three and I didn't read it till like way later. But, um, The Hunter's Moon was a story about a girl from Canada who goes to Ireland and then she gets kind of like caught in the world of the fairies and like has to, nice. and falls in love with like a fairy prince and like all of this stuff. But I had no idea what it was about when I bought it. But this, <laughs> it sat on my shelf for like a good couple of years. And then finally, when I was, cause it was like a, a novel. So finally, when I was like, I feel like reading a novel, which took honestly like a while. I was so like taken by the whole thing, and like that was like the the portal for me. You know what I mean?
0: Nice. Yeah. yeah, but it's
1: it's always interesting to see the the differences in the way that that female characters and male characters relate. I would love so much to read some like I I, I suppose it would have to be modern day fiction, but I would love so much to read some like. Queer modern day fiction on like on yeah. that like how would that how would, that I feel like would change the paradigm like so much but also is so much more resonant of like what we think of as otherworldly people not being so confined into their gender
0: roles or like whatever you know what I mean so oh you know. that would be really interesting I'm I mean, sure, I'm sure, sure it if exists you, you've, I'm sure it exists yeah, yeah if sure you thought is. of it it
1: probably exists <laughs> I'm sure it's out there in, the book, in book world I mean like I'm not like a yeah. hardcore reader but I know there's many people who are and I'm sure it exists but that must yeah. be that must that would be really cool to explore I really love these stories that you shared from Portugal um like yeah just a little bump to Galicia slash like Portugal area like northern Portugal area there, this is such a cool area and it's so understated and people don't really know that it's connected Mm -hmm. to Celtic history or lore. Mm -hmm. And it's just really fascinating. So if you are into travel and you ever get the chance to go there, go there. It's beautiful. I've been there. It's absolutely beautiful. I've driven all through the countryside out there and it's like honestly like probably one of my favorite places actually. And, and that's, and you know, what's funny is that when I got there, I was like, if I was going to live in Spain, I'd want to live here because it's so close to Portugal, so close to (laughs) Porto, but also it feels like here, it feels like where I live here energetically the area which that's an energetic feeling I had, but it's that, that sense of magic in the air for me is like that's what I'm picking up on. You know what I mean? So I could
0: feel so, yeah. that like that feeling there immediately. I th- I think that there are places in the world where those feelings are. Like they they are there whether it's just because there is this weird thinning of worlds in that area or because these practices um kind of with anything like if if there's enough emotion In a place, you'll feel it, whether it's grief or elation or excitement or like whatever it is. Or if there's like enough of that there, it kind of imbues the land with that. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't just go away. Yeah, exactly. And
1: on that note, one final thought, which I don't know (laughs) if it's comforting or not about liminal space. So we know, and they have said, that all of that coastline there, plus everything mm-hmm. from Ireland and everything from the UK, and then you go into the United States, everything from the Appalachia. We know, like at some point, that was all joined, and then it yeah, split. it was all the same mountain range, yeah, right, and then it split. So my question mm-hmm. is, does that make the Atlantic Ocean a liminal space? Oh, <laughs> interesting. Because it's it's a border I mean, between where something earthly, I mean, the ocean is earthly too, but at the same time, the, earth, the ocean naturally has this sense of mysticism and it's got, now it's got these crazy folklore co- cultures on all sides.
0: Yeah, it could be. I, it very well could be because if you go to the East Coast of Canada, you still have a bunch of these Mm -hmm. fairy stories and encounters that happen and that again it could also be because we had this massive wave of irish immigrants land and settle in newfoundland and they carried it over with them or it could be that like newfoundland looks very much the same as (laughs) ireland does it's gorgeous and so because like that landmass was together and so that feeling still pervades there
1: it could just be yeah it could be like extra believable you know what i mean it's yeah. so interesting that freaks that makes the that gives me a whole new outlook on the atlantic ocean
0: yeah cuz like, shannon um shannon grew up in newfoundland and was telling me that she grew up being told that you always had to carry either pieces of bread or stones in your pocket to ward off the fairies because the fairies uh, are tricksters yeah the fairies <gasps> are tricksters and she's just like oh yeah like i know tons of people that have like had fairy encounters and like she was talking about one as well or she was camping and she went to go pee and um oh it's always been and then like felt something like hit her shoulder Mm. but there was nothing around there was nothing there and she kind of like heard snickering and then (laughs) she just like got up and ran she was like nope (laughs) Yeah, it's the snickering, right? Like I'm cool. Thanks. Yeah, she she was just like she was camping, and she's like, I got a pee, and then she did, but she didn't have any stones or anything in her pocket, so. And Forest it was in a part of Newfoundland. Yeah, it was in a part of Newfoundland that's very already associated with the supernatural and like lots of ghost stories in Newfoundland as well. like mm. shit tons. Well, I think it's really tons interesting that once you get
1: into, this is like another conversation for another time, but just briefly, the minute you get into Canada and travel through the United States, what starts as like, we have to keep in mind that, like when it comes to fairies and things like that, even in Ireland and Scotland or whatever, they're not always considered nice. Like they do a lot of no. mischief and sometimes they do things that are not exactly considered nice. But it seems like once you get into North America, the stories get like way more horror centric, like way more <laughs> spooky, you know? Like especially the Appalachian think- lore is so like derived drib- drib- around like fear and horror and being scared and don't go walking in the woods in the night and like all of this stuff. Do
0: you think it also has to do with the fact that like everything in the new world was Christianity was already very much in place and it has to do with all of these things have been Christianized and Christian Christianity is kind of like absolute like bloodshed that was colonization.
1: I feel like also played like a huge role in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think there's a very probably, particular couple of reasons why when you get over to our side of the world the the these stories are there but the context becomes way fucking darker way Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but it's interesting like i said i'll never look at the atlantic ocean the same
0: (laughs) it's okay it's not like you're in it very often it's not like i gotta fly over it every time i go home at least it's not you're flying you're not flying over the bermuda triangle
1: yeah. <laughs> another story. Another story for another time.
0: Um, so I think we'll wrap it up there. This yeah. one was really like liminal spaces. There's not really much to say on them, but the stories really tell you what you need to know. So yeah,
1: absolutely. That's
0: kind of where we focused.
1: And that's like the fun
0: part of it anyway.
1: So why not? Yeah. Like you said, this is allegory story. And with that in mind, please make sure you follow us on all the accounts, Allegory Story Podcast. Um, We're on Facebook. No, we're not on Facebook. We're on Instagram. (laughs) We're on Instagram. And uh, we have a Gmail account at Allegory Story Podcast. And yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. I want to say for now, but let's be honest. That's it for a while. So um follow was <laughs> there and uh more coming. We'll see you next time. Yeah, yeah. we'll see you soon. Okay. <laughs> Bye.